It's good to see each one tonight. I want to say that Brian had a very good lesson this morning, does a fine job in presenting uh, his lessons. I couldn't help but think, and we were talking about the pencil this morning, I, I like to watch that show, How It's Made. And when he was explaining how the pencil was made, I couldn't help but think of the episode that I saw about pencils and how they were made. And it, it's amazing how we get the things that we do. But I uh, had excellent illustration today. Certainly appreciate his efforts on that. Oftentimes when we look at the Bible and we read about the faith or faith, most of the time it's talking about the system of faith. Yes, it does talk about our personal faith, but many times we find where the word faith is used is talking about the system of faith. And this uh, evening we're going to look at what Jude had to say about the faith. If you'd like to go ahead and turn over to the book of Jude, we're going to be taking our lesson uh, from there this evening. When Jude wrote to the brethren, at first he was going to write about the common salvation, but then he uh, realized in the Holy Spirit wanted him to write about something else, and that being the common salvation not the common salvation, but the faith, the system of faith. And when we talk about the faith, many people don't understand that. It's the gospel system. And when we look at the gospel system, we have to ask ourselves, is this all that God wanted us to know or to have revealed unto us? Or is there something else coming down the road? There are those that believe that God's revelation to man is not complete. I have heard people say that the Holy Spirit still works miracles today because God is still revealing to us. Well, we know the Scriptures teach otherwise. And when Paul addressed that fact in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, talking about when that which is perfect has come, he was talking about the completed gospel. There has been much debate on 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, about that which is perfect being Jesus, but we can look at the grammar there and plus the other inferences that we have throughout Scripture knowing that it's talking about the Word of God, not Christ Himself. But as we look at what Jude said, beginning in verse 3, he said, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he has changed his purpose in writing to the brethren. One reason was that there were still a lot of problems with the false teachers. The Jews still trying to attack the gospel and those who were uh, rendering obedience unto it. Those that had rendered obedience unto the gospel but still were trying to hang on to part of the old law. But we see here Jude wants the brethren to know that the faith, the gospel system, had been delivered. And when we look at the fact that it's delivered, the King James, as it reads here, which was once delivered unto the saints, that actually means once delivered for all. Delivered completely. There will be no more deliverance. And if you have watched the TV commercials over the years and you will watch the commercials about the Mormon church and they'll talk about the Book of Mormon being another testament 
of Jesus Christ. Well, it's sad that Joseph Smith have, has led a lot of people astray in believing that. But there is no other testament of Jesus Christ. As Jude says here, it's been delivered for all time. Once for all time, there will be no more delivery or revelation from God to man. God has revealed what He wants us to know. And there's some lessons that we can learn from, from this. And one of the main reasons that Jude is writing is to help the brethren stay strong. He said, contend. And as he says, exhort the brethren. He is wanting them to remain strong because they were going to be hearing a lot of things, different things. It's no different today. When we stand up and teach the truth, there are a lot of people outside teaching things that they believe are the truth. I don't necessarily doubt the sincerity of most of the people in what they believe. And they're naturally going to teach what they believe. But we know from studying the Scriptures and knowing the truth that we have to contend against that opposition. We're really in competition when we talk about religious matters because we are trying to get people to realize the truth and obey that truth and you have others who are trying to get the, uh, people to believe what they believe. So we are in a sense in competition with the religious world for people's souls. But as Jude says that we must contend. In Jude's writing, as he says here, he gave all diligence. Jude's heart was in writing to the brethren. It wasn't just some lesson that he wanted them to learn. It wasn't just some biblical uh, knowledge that he wanted them to have. He was diligent. He wanted them to understand it. He wanted them to believe it and to contend for that faith. As Christians, we have to fight the good fight our whole lives. Paul did that. Paul fought against the Judaizing teachers, and Paul went through a lot of physical abuse. And many of the apostles and writers and the Christians at that time faced a lot of opposition. Many were put to death. Many suffered physical attacks and abuse because of their dedication to the gospel. But Jude is not saying, well, back off a little bit and you won't be so persecuted. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that we must go forward no matter what happens. We must contend for the faith. In contending for the faith, it means that we're going to face opposition. We face a lot of opposition in this country right now on religious matters anyway. Not necessarily all from religious people. Some from those who uh, claim to believe in some type of God, but yet, if you look at their core, you can see that they're most definitely anti-Bible, anti-Christian. And yet, we have to contend with them also. So when we look at the fact that God wants us to contend, He tells Jude to write to us, helping us to understand that we are to contend for the faith. In our lesson tonight, we're going to look at some points that hopefully will bring home the fact that we are God's cho chosen people through the church because the church was prophesied of. The church was not an afterthought. So God prophesied the church. He wants people to be members of that church, the body of Christ, 
so that they can have salvation. We must exhort others at times. We must build each other up. I thought it was a good point that Brian had this morning about he is lifted up when he sees brethren. I am too. I hope that you are. When you come to services, I hope that you enjoy seeing other brethren here. I think you do because oftentimes when our attendance is real low, we notice that and we don't like that, do we? We don't like to see our attendance low. We like to see everybody here. And we know that there are certain problems, uh, health problems and sicknesses that keep people from being here from time to time, but we like to see everybody back because we are to exhort one another. We're to lift one another up. And as uh, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 10.25, that's part of it. Encouraging one another, lifting up one another. It does us good. So as Jude talks about exhorting, we should exhort one another. And we should always exhort one another to know the truth and to obey the truth. As Christians, we should never be satisfied with where we are on our knowledge level. We should always seek to have more knowledge about God's Word so that we can help others, so that we can help one another. Not only help one another here, but anywhere we are and have the opportunity to teach the truth. But it's not what we want to teach. It's not our gospel. It's not what we come up with. It's God's Word. It's God's gospel. It's God's system of faith. I'm glad God didn't leave it up to me because I probably would have messed it up. But God, having infinite wisdom and knowledge and understanding and power, knows best. So therefore, we need to exhort one another when we're here. And there are ways to do that. So we see exhorting is something that is needed. It helps us. But one thing that helps us is to know that we have the truth. That we understand the truth. And therefore, when we have that knowledge, we have power. As Paul said in Romans 1.16, about the power of God. What is it? The gospel. It's the power of God. It's not that we're going alone through this life and preaching and teaching something that doesn't have anything behind it. God has given us the power. It's His power. So as we see, we must exhort one another. And talking about that truth and that power, it comes from God. We know that God is truth. God's word is truth. You look at John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. You know, Paul wanted to make a point to the brethren that what he was preaching and teaching didn't come from man. If you look at Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was an inspired apostle. He didn't have anybody teach him that. That was revealed, or teach him the knowledge that he had. That came from God. As I mentioned this morning in class, there are some people who do not look at uh, the apostles or the writers as people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
they look at them as just regular people. And that was one of the problems that Paul had, was there were those that questioned his apostleship. They, they questioned his authority. But Paul assures them that it was not from him. He wasn't going on his own. But it was by the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God that he knew what he knew and did what he did. But as we continue to exhort one another, we have that big picture in mind. You know, oftentimes death is scary for a lot of people. And I've never been at the point of death, and so I don't really know what it's like. But I do know from the scriptures that it's not this dark place that we go to. We leave this world, we go into the spiritual world, the Hadean realm, without ever losing consciousness. So it's like going from one room to another. And if we've lived our lives according to God's word, then we step into this from step from this world into a world of paradise. A wonderful thing. But yet there are those who are afraid of death because they think it is some dark place that it's not going to be the same as here. some dark place that they've got to experience and will be alone, won't be anybody around. But we know from what the Scriptures teach that that's not the case. And Jude wants us to earnestly contend for the faith so that when we leave this world we can most definitely have that home. Why would Jude have us contend for something that was not God's Word? He wouldn't. Jude wrote to the brethren and to us because we know this has application to us. Not everything that was written was uh, a, a specific application for that time but it does happen and we read through the scriptures and we know that the apostle Paul and others address specific problems at specific times but yet we also see the principle uh, the universal principles of God's word although we may not be facing uh, some of the things that they did at the time but God God's word applies to us also so we contend for that which is true we look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And, and what about the reason that God has given us that word? Yes, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, but it, it has to be there for something. And Paul tells us that that word is there for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Therefore, God's Word has a purpose. And we should contend for that Word because it does have a purpose. It is sad that there are those to, that live their lives not believing that God exists, not wanting to render any obedience unto God, even though they may believe God exists. But we know that God's Word is very important and it helps us as Christians to live our daily lives. Not only for us personally, but it helps us to help others also. So when we contend for the faith, we contend for that system, the only system that can save mankind. There's no other system other than the gospel that can save mankind. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not the words that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. Well, Jesus tells us that there's a way. Jesus tells us that we need to follow him. 
we look at God's Word, that which has been uh, revealed to us, which shows us what that gospel is. If you will, turn over to Galatians, the third chapter. And Paul talks about the old law, talks about the new law. Beginning in verse 30, uh, 23, he says, But before faith came. Now, some might say, well, that's personal faith. That's not personal faith. That's the system. That's the gospel system. He says, before that came, and he's speaking to the Jewish brethren. He says, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. He is talking about the gospel. While the Jews were following the law of Moses, the gospel had not been revealed. We know that the gospel began to uh, be revealed in the first sense through, uh, by Christ when he first started his ministry. We know the first gospel sermon, what we would call the first pure gospel sermon, was on the day of Pentecost. But Paul is trying to help the Jewish Christians understand that that law of Moses would only go so far. I heard something the other day as uh, conversing with some people, and the idea that God's chosen people are, are still the Jews. And I was explaining the fact that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. Christians now are God's chosen people. And this particular person said, well, you must believe in the replacement theory. And, of course, my response was, I've never even heard of the replacement theory. I guess it has to do with something about the Jews being replaced as God's chosen people. Well, I guess, in a sense, that would be correct. They were replaced as God's chosen people, weren't they? Yeah. But I had never heard that, but yet here Paul is saying that exact thing. He is saying that the law of Moses... And at this time, or at that time, the, at the time the law was in effect, they were God's chosen people, but that didn't mean God didn't love the Gentiles. That didn't mean that there were no Gentiles that were uh, not being faithful to God. The main reason that the Jews were set aside was to have a way that Christ could come into this world and go to the cross. He had to have a lineage. But Paul goes on to say, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by the faith, the system of faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now, if the law is called a schoolmaster, and faith comes, a system of faith, and Paul says we're no longer under the schoolmaster, that means you're no longer under that law. It's not complicated. But he talks about the faith. He talks about the system of faith. The gospel system. Now that that has come, if we read on up into verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or female, for ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be, be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is no longer the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all one in one body. And as Paul said, that God wanted to make one new man out of the two. 
But the only way that it could be done was through the gospel. And Paul makes that very clear there in Galatians and other areas too. So we see that the gospel is God's power to save. And we are to contend for that faith in our lives, all that we do. I hope that we live our lives in a way that people know that we are Christians. That we are showing forth God's word in our lives. I don't know, I think I don't know who came up with it, but it was once said if you were accused and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, that's something each person has to ask themselves, and hopefully we would uh, be counted worthy and faithful to God in living through His Word. When we look at God's Word, and, and what Jude is basically saying here on one hand is, this is the system that we need to contend for. And if we look at that, if this is the only system and there's no more revelation, then it has to have some importance. And one would be that it supplies all a man's needs, which it does uh, in our spiritual lives. And we know that God is a great blesser in our physical lives also. But when we look at the spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings being in Christ, we see that this system of faith is so important to us. It has to contain all that we need spiritually in order to get to heaven. If that's not the case, then God has given us an inadequate system. There was nothing wrong with the law of Moses. It accomplished exactly what God wanted it to. But where it fell short was it could not give salvation, the forgiveness of sin, as the blood of Christ could. The law of Moses was for a specific time. It accomplished what God wanted it to. Oftentimes, people get the idea there was something wrong with the law. There was nothing wrong with the law. It was a very difficult law to keep. And the problem is with man. If we go and look at Hebrews, the 8th chapter, when the Hebrews writer says, if the first one had been faultless, then there'd be no need for a second one. The word faultless there means it just didn't go far enough. But that was by God's design. That's like some people will try to say, well, when Jesus came into this world and the people rejected Him, God had to come up with something else. Well, the law went as far as it needed to go, and that was to the cross. So therefore, the gospel system has to have something for mankind in order to get us to heaven because there's nothing else. Christ is the final, uh, final step before heaven. He is our high priest. There will be no other high priest. There will be no other priesthood system. We know under the law of Moses there was a Levitical priesthood. And now Christ is our high priest. But there's nothing after Christ, so Christ has to be the final step. Christ brought in the gospel system. It has to contain everything that we need to get to heaven. That is why it's important to contend for it. 
We go out and we teach people why they must obey the gospel. We try to teach them to understand what God has revealed to us, accept that, and live by that. If this system can't get man to heaven, then we're wasting our time, not only in our personal lives, but also in trying to get others to follow this. But Jude is saying that we need to contend for it, and that's one of the reasons. You know, in this, we can call it a chapter. (laughs) There's only one chapter to Jude, so uh, if we just want to call it a chapter, that's fine. But he gives us examples of the sinful world. If we look on over, beginning in reading verse 4, he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning grace of God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord, God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know, and we had a study in 1 John, and we uh, see how that there were those that had different beliefs about Christ, that some believe He only came in spirit, some people believe He came in body but not spirit, and so on and so forth. So there were a lot of crazy ideas that man had at that time. And there were these people that crept into the church. As he says there, for there are certain men crept in unawares. There were people who came in to the church to destroy the church. But they didn't come in just by kicking the door down and saying, I'm here to destroy the church. It came in privately. It came in small, uh, with small steps in order to damage the church. And it happens today too. But he goes on to say, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them, that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going forth after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. So we see that he is talking about these people who turned their backs on God. He talks about those that came out of Egypt, talking about the Israelites. What happened? Many of them murmured and complained and sinned, and they were considered unbelievers. They died. He talks about those angels that decided they didn't want to keep their first estate, which were The fact that they were created by God, they were uh, creatures of God, and yet they wanted to turn their back on God. Look where they end up. We don't have to end up there. We've got examples, as he says, to show us not to do those things. We have Jude telling us to contend for the only system that's going to save us. The only system for mankind. God has never wanted man to be lost. He has always wanted man to be saved. When He created Adam and Eve in the garden, it was His desire to have all mankind in heaven. Of course, God, having foreknowledge, knew that that was not going to be the case. We can go to Genesis, the third chapter, and find where Christ was prophesied in the very beginning to save mankind. The law of Moses was brought in to teach the Israelites about sin. If we look about look at the fact that in the beginning everybody was of one race. There were no Jew and Gentiles. If you want to look at and call everybody Gentiles, I guess that would be the, the correct thing. But the Jews 
being given the law by God, they had to follow that as, just as well as the Gentiles had to continue to follow what they had been doing from the very beginning. It's not a matter of the, as soon as the law of Moses was given to the, Gent, uh, the Jews that the Gentiles had nothing to go by. Remember Moses' father-in-law? He was a priest of Midian. He wasn't a Jew, so that shows that there was a priesthood. And the Hebrews writer talks about Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek. How Abraham sacrificed, uh, not sacrificed, but had given uh, Ab- uh, Melchizedek 10%. He tithed 10% to Melchizedek. So that shows a religious system at that time. And then, of course, the law came for the Jews. So you have two systems. But they neither one could add up or come up to what the gospel would be. That is one of the important things that I think Jude wants us to realize out of this command to contend earnestly for the faith. I think we could also substitute that word, uh, well, as he says, diligence, and we understand what diligence is. That's more than just doing something. It's putting some effort behind it. (coughs) Excuse me. That's putting effort behind it. In other words, we've got to be workers for the Lord. We've got to take this system and live it every day. The gospel system does not call for us to be perfect in the, in the way that we don't make any mistakes. A lot of people have a fear of becoming a Christian because they feel they've got to be perfect. And if they happen to sin or make a mistake, you know, the walls come down. Well, that's a misunderstanding of God's love and God's grace and also a misunderstanding of really what He uh, has commanded of us and expects from us. So we see that Jude wants us to contend for a faith or the system of faith that is the only one left. It's the best. It's the one that's going to save mankind. I think it is really sad that many people are led astray by people who are unknowledgeable in the Word. They give them false hope. That's why we try not to give people false hope. We want to teach them the truth. We want them to know what they need to understand in order to obey the gospel the first time. There have been more than one occasion I've extended the invitation and someone came forward and I had to sit down and talk with them knowing that they were not ready to obey the gospel. That is hard because you want people to obey the gospel, but we don't want to give them false hope. And that's what happens in the religious world when someone says, all you have to do is accept Christ into your heart and be a good person, and do this or that, and you're okay. That is giving them false hope. And I'm not saying that person is doing it intentionally, and they've got some ulterior motive to doing that. They actually believe that themselves, because usually that's what they have done. Jude tells us to contend earnestly, diligently, for the faith that has been delivered once and for all, No more revelation from God. This is it. God has given us all that we need to get to heaven. He lets us know what it takes to become a child of God. What it takes to become a member of the body of Christ so that we can go to heaven. Oftentimes people say, well you people of the church of Christ think you're the only ones going to heaven. 
I can tell you right now from what the Bible teaches, only those that are members of the body of Christ will go to heaven. That doesn't mean that every person that's a member of the body of Christ is going to heaven because there are those who fall away, those who get back in sin. But the Bible teaches for a person to be saved, they have to be a member of the body of Christ. And we can look through and find that the body of, there's only one body of Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul said there's only one body. Jesus is the head of that body. Now it just so happens that the, the church at that time was recognized as the church of Christ. It shows ownership. It doesn't show a name. It shows ownership. Who owns the church? Christ. Who gave His blood for the church? Christ. So the church belongs to Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my church. That shows ownership. That shows possession. And you cannot go to heaven being separated from Christ. It was an important decision to change the reason for the writing to the brethren. And it was because they needed help. They needed encouragement to stay strong, to contend for the truth. Sometimes I often wonder how hard it was for them back then, really. Because although there were laws, it was still wide open in, in the world in a sense. We have more a more ordered, orderly society in, in many ways. And I don't think the people back then had the protection in a lot of ways that we have today. But they stayed the course, as Paul stayed the course. We are to stay the course. We are to contend for that faith, that system. You know, people can contend for, the, for what the Bible says, but if they're not in the right relationship with God, it's not going to accomplish what God wanted it to. I appreciate people's sincerity. I appreciate people's diligence and hard work and their desire to do what is right. That's why we work so hard at teaching people what the truth is. So that they too can be a part of this faith that was once delivered. People can go out and do a lot of good, but it won't mean the same unless they're doing it in the name of God according to God's Word. As we tell people that the gospel is the only way they can go to heaven, it's not a matter of just belief. It's a matter of believing God at His Word, taking God and Christ at their Word. Hearing the Word as we're looking at and we looked at this morning in our lesson, hearing God's Word, making it mean something, doing something with it. Many people will hear the truth, but they do nothing with it. We want people to do something with the truth. We want them to apply it to their lives as we continue to do it in ours. But a person can only go to heaven if they're a member of the body of Christ. Hearing the Word begins that process. you got to... In order to take a journey, you've got to have the first step. And hearing the Word of God, and that's what produces personal faith, that's what God commands us to do. Hearing comes, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. 
And then we take that and we do something with it. As James, James talks about being a doer of the word. In other words, that entails action. Hearing the word of God, according to what Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, produces faith. Because without faith it is impossible to please him, as the Hebrews writer says. Without the proper faith it is impossible to please him. That's the key, proper faith. We know that Jesus tells people that He is the one and that you cannot go to heaven without Him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me, John fourteen six. So to believe that to be the case, not to believe that He is just some prophet, some good person, but to believe that He is the Messiah. That's what He was talking about. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Repenting of one's sins. That means change, making changes in life. Change comes hard sometimes, doesn't it? In many things, change comes hard. And for those wanting to serve God, oftentimes fall short because they say they want to change, but they're not willing to really change. But the Bible talks about repentance. God commands everyone to repent. And then confess Christ publicly and then be baptized for the remission of sins. That is obeying the gospel system. As Paul says, obey the gospel. Obey the gospel system. If you have not done that, we encourage you to. As a child of God, if your life has not reflected what it should as a Christian, if there's sin in your life in a public way, you understand what this time is for. And let me encourage you to take advantage of that as we stand and sing.